And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. It's, of course, Tuesday. That means it's technically speaking. And we're going to cover a little bit about the markets this morning. Also, a uh, new blog post out on the website this morning. Simply go to realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on our Insights tab. New blog out this morning talking about the rule of 20, which is basically valuations plus inflation. And when that measure is well above 20, which it is now, uh, forward returns have not been great. But that's on the website uh, right now at realinvestmentadvice.com. So you can check that out this morning. Um, also, you know, Bitcoin making a bit of recovery. Um, it's been under a lot of pressure lately, back above 20,000. Uh, it's been trading, you know, Bitcoin's been trading very much along the lines of whatever the market does, right? So um, very high correlation to risk assets, not surprising. But seen a little bit of a bounce this morning in cryptocurrencies. And as we talked about yesterday, not surprisingly, um, with markets very oversold here, looking to see a bit of a bounce here in stocks this morning. Stocks looking to open up about, you know, about almost 1%, about three quarters of a percent this morning. Uh, may get a little bit more of a rally. Uh, Dow up about 222 points. Um, yesterday, the markets came down and we had talked about the fact that if the markets had broken down below the 20-day moving average, there was a shot that, you know, we could retest the 50-day moving average. That occurred yesterday. Um, actually, we actually kind of tested the 50-day yesterday, bounced off of it slightly into the close. Market still finished, you know, down a bit yesterday, but um, actually about midday, markets had almost recovered to break even. So we said yesterday morning that a bit of a reflexive rally in the markets wouldn't be surprised because we've been so deeply oversold now for the last couple of days. Again, rather vicious sell-off from, you know, we, we had run up to the markets, tested the 200-day moving average, failed there. And then, of course, that just really kind of devolved into a, a bit more of an aggressive sell-off over the last couple of days as, uh, as we talked about, you know, Friday's Jackson Hole speech from uh, Jerome Powell certainly didn't give the, the, the bulls the pivot they were looking for. In fact, the, the Fed kind of doubled down on hiking rates. And, of course, that's now brought interest rates up, mortgage rates now nearing 6%. And interestingly, you know, the amount of homes for sale, um, people are trying to figure out what to do with them, right? Because now I put my home up for sale and, and, you know, mortgage rates are going up. Buyers are kind of vanishing at this point. So a lot of these homes getting converted into rentals. Uh, so we're going to see a pickup in the number of rental homes available, which could actually be a good thing for inflation. Because remember, it's all about supply and demand. If there's not enough homes for rent, rents are high. But if a lot of people convert the homes they were going to sell into rental homes, well, that can potentially add to supply, bringing down rental prices. And, of course, that feeds into homes, homeowners' equivalent rent on the inflation side. So, you know, we've got a lot of things that are occurring here, particularly in the real estate market. And this is one of the areas right now that the Fed does pay attention to, is they do pay attention to what's happening in the real estate market. But, again, that market still, you know, while showing some signs of cracking and stress, still very healthy there. So from the Fed's point of view, not a lot of financial stress in the system. That's why they continue to focus on inflation. But the thing to watch is credit spreads. And we are now starting to see credit spreads beginning to move in a not advantageous direction. <laughs> Triple C versus B, those are kind of your junk rated uh, debt instruments. Those spreads are starting to widen out a bit more. 
And if we start to see that filter up into, you know, uh, higher yield credit spreads, start to see junk versus uh, uh, investment grade bonds, which are triple B or better, start to see those spreads uh, really kind of start to widen a bit. That's going to be a bit more of a concern for the Federal Reserve and, and potentially their rate hiking campaign. That's one of the things you're going to be watching on. That's one thing we'll be watching as well. Because interest rates have everything to do with the economy. You, you, no matter what you do in the economy, there's somewhere it's related to debt. Either people borrowing money to make investments, borrowing money to, to do capex, borrowing money to invest, whatever it is that they're doing with money. Lots of credit being done with that. So credit, very, very critical to the overall kind of the, the piping of the economy, right? That, that credit is kind of the lifeblood of how the economy works. So when those spreads start to blow out, that's telling you that there's stress in the economy, stress in the system. And that's when things typically tend to go wrong. So again, the Fed watches those spreads very carefully. And if we start to see some signs of financial instability, that's, the, that's about the only thing right now that is gonna pull the Fed off of this inflation fight is signs that there's something happening economically that could get out of control. That's where you're gonna to start to see the Fed talk potentially about a pivot or potentially slowing down rate hikes or you know other kind of measures like that. Because again, as we talked about, watch credit, that'll tell us a lot. Okay, back to the markets here real quick. Still on sell signals across the board. Um, no real reason here to, to get aggressive with stocks. Any rally that we get today, um, we've got a, a pretty good room to run to get back to that 20-day moving average. So. Again, we closed about 402 yesterday, uh, 4020 yesterday-ish on the uh, S&P 500. Got room up here to about 4170 for a rally. So again, there's a good bit of upside here for the markets before they kind of hit that 20-day moving average resistance. So again, use any rally that we get. That'll that'll help reverse some of this oversold condition. Get that back towards a bit of overbought. That'll be a good area to kind of reduce some risk, rebalance your portfolio, take some stuff off, off the portfolio as, as an example, raise a bit more cash. Because we're probably not through uh, this corrective period yet, particularly as we move into September. Again, as the Fed you know, slated right now to hike rate 75 basis points, and as we start to see really kind of some of this economic data coming in, uh, that could weigh on markets here a bit more. So again, you know, as long as we can kind of hold this 50-day moving average, this is kind of the bullish story that we're looking at. As long as we can kind of hold this 50-day moving average right now, we've got this uptrend that we're still building in the market. So, uh, you know, kind of from that position, we're just trading within kind of a rising trend channel at the moment. So again, holding the bottom of this trend channel at the 50-day moving average, that keeps that kind of bullish trend working. So again, a rally back up here, um, you know, to the 20-day moving average or so, good place to remove some, some assets, raise a little bit of cash. If we do break this upper trend, we are gonna retest the lows that we had back in July. That's gonna put a little bit different dynamic on the market. That's certainly possible. Again, there's enough catalyst in the markets right now to do that. Again, this rally that we're gonna get is just a function of being oversold but we haven't reversed a lot of these sell signals, which suggests that we're gonna to continue to have some downward pressure on prices here, at least um, for the next few weeks. Uh, you know, in this particular case, since we've kind of run out of news uh, you know, on the earnings front, we've pretty much finished that Best Buy reported earnings this morning, a little bit better than expected, but we're through the bulk of those, the, of those reports. So we're gonna to have to start focusing back on economics and a bit on fundamentals, and that's not a great, a great backdrop to be working on, particularly 
uh, when it comes to earnings and earnings estimates uh, on the outlook because those are coming down rather sharply. Prices still haven't uh, you know, accommodated for a much lower earnings environment into 2023. So again, use these rallies here to continue to raise a little bit of cash, rebalance your portfolio. It'll give you a good opportunity to do that. Just kind of position yourself. And then if we do happen to break out of this channel, get above the 200-day moving average, then all this negativity reverses. We're going to run to new highs, and we can put money back to work at that time. So again, you know, there's, there's never a rush of trying to time the exact bottom. Just kind of let the market tell you what it wants to do. All right, coming up this morning on the show, a lot of things to get into. Um, you know, we've got some interesting things happening overseas in terms of, you know, the economy, the ECB, et cetera. What does that potentially, how does that potentially feed back into, you know, what we're doing here? And so we'll, we'll touch on that and, and a good bit more here on this morning's edition of The Real Investment Show. Get by the website, check out our new homepage. We've got a lot of stuff on there for you, really easy to find stuff. We add some more stuff over the next few days. Get our latest insights this morning. Our blog is The Rule of 20. And is the bear market over? That's on the website now under the Insights tab. Be right back after the break. Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. show this morning. So interesting um, couple of things uh, to get into, uh, you know, as we talk a lot about, you know, the Jackson Hole Summit and, and what happened there. Again, kind of what we touched on this a little bit yesterday, but we didn't go really kind of deep into this. But, you know, what was, you know, what was interesting about the Jackson Hole Summit over this past weekend, of course, was Jerome Powell's statement, as we talked about in this weekend's newsletter, that, you know, the economy's going to have to experience some pain, right? You're going to have to experience some job losses. You're going to have to experience some pain. But that's, worth, that's a price worth paying to fight this inflation. Now, that's an interesting point because, again, it's not his pain, right? <laughs> you know, he's getting paid plenty and uh, his job is not, you know, at risk. Well, at least at the moment. So it's okay for him to say, well, you know, everybody's going to have to suffer a little bit of pain here. We have to have some equal sharing of, of, this, of this risk, but it's a risk worth taking to fight this inflation because that's worse. And, and I think you have to kind of look at this from the, the standpoint of the average American who's trying to make ends meet. You know, it was an interesting, uh, you know, comment out yesterday on CNBC. They had an article saying that fewer Americans are living paycheck to paycheck as inflation begins to ease. So, yeah, that's encouraging, right? Fewer Americans living paycheck to paycheck. So it's, it's a very nice headline until you read, you know, the comments, right? 
or read, read, read the article. So here's, the, here's from the CNBC article. Consumers who have been squeezed by higher prices may be expecting a little relief. Nice. Fewer adults now say they are living paycheck to paycheck. This is according to a new Lending Club report. As of July, just 59% of Americans say they live paycheck to paycheck, which was down from 61% in June and higher than a year ago of 54%. So you got nearly 60% of people living paycheck to paycheck, but that's good news because we're down from 61, right? So we've come down here a little bit, but no, nearly 60% of the population, you know, on this survey living paycheck to paycheck. Now, that certainly doesn't sound like, you know, a an environment where individuals can sustain, you know, higher levels of inflation for a long period of time. But that's what we're dealing with. And, you know, more importantly, what this kind of points out, too, and it's, it's kind of interesting, is that, you know, we always hear these kind of media pundits on television. It's like, oh, just, you know, stick your money into an ETF and you'll be fine, right? Just over time, markets are going to go up and you'll make all this money. And you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll be wealthy and be able to, you know, live a life of luxury. Sounds great. But let me ask you a question just to think about it. This is a quick sideline from where we're going to with the ECB. But, you know, you, you, you kind of look at that number, right? 59% of Americans live in paycheck to paycheck. We've had the three greatest bull markets in financial history anywhere in the world. 1980 to 2000, massive bull market. Then you have this massive bull market from 2003 to 2007. Then you've had this accelerated bull market of magnitude never witnessed before anywhere in history between 2009 and today. And you still have 59% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck. Investing doesn't work the way you think it works. You know, there's that little line from The Princess Bride. It's like... <laughs> I'm not sure you think that word means what you think it means. You know, that's kind of where this is. I'm not sure investing works the way that they tell you it works on CNBC. But that's that's a different story. But but this all goes back to this 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 point, though, right? The Fed saying, hey, we're all going to have to share some pain here. Fifty nine percent of Americans are already suffering. Right. How much more pain do they have to take? Right. To fix this problem. They're already suffering from the inflation. So we're going to have to experience some more pain to fix this inflation problem. And that could result in those 59% of Americans who are living paycheck to paycheck losing their job. And now they're not even living paycheck to paycheck because there's no paycheck. So this is the problem. Now, the ECB has the same problem. And here's, here's the problem with the ECB. The ECB is talking about getting much more restrictive on their policy as well. So now we've got the Fed cutting back on QE. Right, we've got rid of QT. We're doing QT now, right? So we're removing that liquidity, and now we're hiking rates, and we're doing everything we can to make things more expensive on Americans, so they'll stop consuming as much, and that way inflation will come down. Sounds great. Now the ECB is going to do the same thing. Here's the problem: we export inflation to import deflation. I want you to think about this for a second. This morning, there was an interesting, uh, I'm kind of bouncing around here, but this is all going to make sense. This is like a joke, you know, like when you go see professional comedians and they tell a joke and they go kind of go weaving around and they get back to the punchline. 
Hang with me. Punchline's coming. So we export inflation to import deflation. There was an interesting uh, graphic out this morning that was on uh, that I posted up on Twitter. Here, let me give it over here to Brent, and he can put maybe if my computer will cooperate with me. Being very finicky. These are the top benefits that workers want from their employers. Retirement plan and 401k. I just want you to total this up here for a second. Retirement plan and 401k match. Good health care and insurance. Work-life balance. Good company culture. Remote work. Education and training. They want the company to pay for that. A significant amount of or unlimited paid time off. A significant amount of or unlimited paid time off. Think about that for a moment. Employee discounts, lenient dress code, hybrid work, stock options, free food, travel opportunities, relocation, reimbursement, parking, transportation, stipends, um, you know, et cetera. Okay. Oh, at the bottom was abortion travel benefits. Now, what that is, is that's all the stuff that we want companies to pay for. For us. Right? Now, think about that for a moment. I want unlimited personal time off. Why even go to work? Just, you know, send. Um, Brent's going to take 365 days a year paid time off, and we're going to send him a paycheck. Why? Right? Because I'm such a great guy. You are a great guy. No doubt about that. And you deserve it more than anybody I know. But here's the point, right? Employees want all this stuff. Okay. But you also want... A $500 television that's 65 inches, right, from Best Buy. Or, you know, you want cheap cars or you want whatever, you know, want cheap computers. Whatever it is that you want, you want cheap phones. You want all this stuff cheap, but at the same time, I want cheap stuff, but I want to be paid way more than what I'm worth to the workplace because I deserve this, right? I have a right to all of this stuff from companies. No, you don't. But this is why we outsource stuff, because you want too much stuff. And I can't pass that cost on. All that stuff is a cost that has to be paid for by the company. And that's got to be embedded into the price of stuff that we want. So we're all sitting there running around like, we need to buy American. We need to build American. You can't afford it. You can't even afford, 59% of Americans can't even afford to buy the stuff that we're importing cheap from other countries who don't get all of that stuff. Running around, waving your hands, wanting $15 hour minimum wage. Are you insane? If you think stuff is expensive now, do that. Because it's got to be paid for by somebody. It just doesn't, money just doesn't show up and go, oh, here you go. Right? Doesn't happen. This is why we outsource. So we can export that inflation of labor. That way we can produce it in countries where people have a more realistic sense of living and they, you know, we pay them a lot less. There are no benefits. There are no none of these other things. We talked about before on the show when Greg Hayes was interviewed by CNBC uh, right after Donald Trump got elected. You know, Carrier Industries moved one of their plants 
from Mexico back to the U.S. And they asked him in the interview, and they said, why did you do that? And he goes, well, because we have a lot of government contracts and we want to keep the government happy. But we are going to automate the majority of those jobs that we move back because we have a very skilled and dedicated labor force in Mexico that work for about $5 an hour. They don't take time off. They don't ask for benefits. They show up to work. They do their job, and they do it well. That's why we build it in Mexico. So, see, there's got to be a point to where you start to realize that you can't have your standard of living and all this stuff. The rest of the world has figured it out already. It just hasn't quite sunk into the young millennial generation that's coming up the pipeline trying to figure out why they're getting these degrees they can't make any money with, right? That's a trend. So anyway, now what happens is with ECB, I told you the punchline's coming. The ECB is now hiking interest rates and doing what? Hiking rates and reducing their liquidity to fight inflation that they're getting from where? They're getting it from the U.S. We export inflation to them through demand. They have to then produce this stuff and then ship it back to us, how we import deflation back in the U.S. by buying cheap stuff from them. So their inflation is not something that is caused by just their own doings. This is a small part of it, sure. Russia, Ukraine, absolutely part of it in terms of energy costs. But a big chunk of their inflation is what we sent them. Now, they're going to be importing, exporting deflation back to us. We're right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a para group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Headline on CNBC right now, return to office push. How to ease the transition. It's called SIUB, acronym, S-I-U-B. Want to ease the transition back to the office, just impart SIUB onto your employees and it'll be just fine. All you do is call them up and say, suck it up, buttercup. Get it back to work, right? You were working before in the office. You can do it again. Get off your butt. Put your, put your sweatpants back in the drawer and get back to work. Be productive. 
Again, you want all those benefits? You're going to have to earn them. So, everybody's like freaking out. It's like, oh my God, if you go back to the office, it's so unfair. I need permanent time off. That's going to be the new thing. PTO no longer means paid time off. It just means, or personal time off, one of the two. It just now means permanent time off. Yeah, we can arrange some permanent time yeah, off. Yeah, it can be done for you. We can quickly arrange that for you. <laughs> anyway, a couple other things here. Bitcoin, uh, I thought this was interesting. Bitcoin, this is a headline on CNBC yesterday. Bitcoin, the, pff, spit that out. Bitcoin reclaims 20,000. Woohoo. Down from 60, it's back to 20. Yay. Um, but the second part of the headline was the best part. Why the NFT trading has crashed. Now, NFT was is those non-fungible tokens that uh, this is where people were paying, you know, stupid amounts of money to buy a non-fungible token of, you know, a, a cartoon ape and other stuff like that, right? Buying virtual real estate, all that. And, and you know, when we said back then, it's like, this is the most stupid thing I have ever seen on earth. This, and there was literally, and, and by the way, these NFTs, not most people listening to this show, because you're probably a little older, um, probably remember this. But if you're younger, you probably won't. Who remembers Pet Rocks? Right. There was a thing for about two years. Uh, probably what Brent was it back in the probably the early seventies, I guess. Seems like yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was literally a company, and they were taking like these gray river rocks and putting them into a little box with, you know, like this tan straw at the bottom. Right. And they would ship it to you, and it was a pet rock, and people were buying these things. They looked well, so earthy. They did. And people were buying them hand over fist. It was like a hot thing. Everybody was buying pet rocks. It was the most stupid thing. I mean, you had to imagine the guy that came up with it. He's like, I can't believe I, I was a joke. I can't believe people are buying this stuff. But he's selling rocks left and right. I mean, you could walk down the street, pick up a rock and put it in a box for yourself. You know, it's kind of like getting a stray dog. You just pick one up. But no, we've got to go to the kennel and buy one. And so people are buying these rocks like, you know, they're going out of style. It's like, oh, my God, we're running out of rocks. And people are buying this stuff. And this lasted for about a year or two. And then finally people woke up and go, what the hell am I doing buying rocks? We reached peak rock. We did. Thank God we didn't run out of rock. I'm telling you. You know, you know when Al Gore was born, we had 160,000 glaciers. Really? Yeah. We still have 160,000 glaciers. Cool. We're not running out of rocks either. <laughs> um, anyway. So NFTs were the pet rock of 2020. And, and believe it or not, people were actually buying NFTs of pet rocks. Literally, they were buying a graphic image of a gray rock and paying money for it. Not surprisingly, just as it went with nfts back then i'm uh, sorry the the pet rocks back then which was the nft of the day <laughs> we just called them nfis back then not freaking intelligent is what that was um but those have crashed now people are like waking up and going what the hell am i doing and, and and not surprisingly, it crashed when the when the price you know the the price of Bitcoin crashed. So everybody had these big and that's what people were doing. They were using their Bitcoin profits to buy stupid stuff, 
Because you know when you make when you when you make a bunch of money in you know Bitcoin, it's not real, right? You didn't earn it. It's just oh my gosh, I put in you know a thousand bucks and it became ten thousand bucks, and so I'm gonna go buy something with it. Instead of buying something real with it, they were just transacting you know Bitcoin stuff on the internet using their you know using Ethereum to buy these NFTs. And not surprisingly, when the prices crashed, NFT trading crashed along with it. And people kind of woke up to the reality that this, you know, there's not really a market for this, you know, long term. I mean, it's just uh, one of those things. So, but it is interesting. I mean, and we wrote an article about this um, late, uh, probably late 2020. Um, and if you go to our, our website at, at realinvestmentadvice.com and actually in the search bar at the top, just type in Pet Rocks. You, you always be surprising <laughs> kind of what comes up. Um, we wrote this article called, this was uh, actually, yeah, August 24th of 2021. Uh, it's called Pet Rocks and Other Signs of a Rich Market. And, you know, I, I said on there, so, you know, if you aren't a, you know, if you aren't, you know, older, you probably don't know what a pet rock is. And I actually have a picture of the original pet rock that came in the box with air holes. Now, think about this, right? It came in a box with a handle and it had air holes in the box so the rock wouldn't suffocate during shipping. Was it P.T. Barnum that said there's a sucker born every minute? Yes. And there were millions <laughs> of suckers that bought these. This box can, this is what it says on the box, right? It says, this box contains one genuine pedigreed pet rock. Pedigreed, pet rock. It even came with an instruction book for the care and training of your pet rock. It was, hey, pet rocks are smart. You said sit, they sat. You only had to teach them once. That's right. There was no obedience training required. And they were housebroken, Mm -hmm. didn't poop in the house. Nope, didn't stink. Didn't stink. They just didn't clean up after themselves. The whole nest, that pe- brown paper mm-hmm. shaving stuff that came with it, got yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Right? That was the only thing they didn't do well is to clean up after themselves. Well, the, when you could really become alarmed is when little pebbles started showing up. Yeah, c- correct. <laughs> Peter Atwater, a friend of mine, he, he wrote a tweet about this back then. He says, the pet rock craze lasted about, I was wrong, I said two years. It was yeah. six months. That long. The pet pet rock craze lasted about six months beginning in September of 1975. Yeah. With sales peaking during the Christmas season and tanking in February of 1976 when stores (laughs) discounted prices due to declining sales and copycat products. Yeah. Flooding the market. It's like, oh, you're selling a gray rock? I got a blue one. (laughs) Just amazing. Get them in all your team colors. Exactly. You know, and, and the, the, the point of the article is, is that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's the same thing in all markets. When you have these, you know, stupid kind of investment themes, and this is always a sign of a rich market. It's always a sign of when you've got too much exuberance in the markets, et cetera. You know, people start doing stupid stuff with their money. And then, of course, that always ends badly. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, you have to deal with the consequences. And, and that's what's, that's all that's happened here, right? We're just returning to a realm of normality. And, and it's going to take some time. We have, not, we have not deflated that bubble yet, right? There 
are too many people. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There are too many people trying to, you know, time the bottom, right? You know, the Fed's going to pivot. I got to be in, right? We had all this exuberance. We had that run up from the July lows as, as people were trying to figure out if that was the bottom of the, is the bear market bottom in, you know, and we wrote some articles about this. Too much exuberance, too quickly. At the bottom of a bear market, nobody wants to buy stocks. At the bottom of a bear market, nobody's going to be buying pet rocks. <laughs> and, you know, we're not there yet. We haven't, we haven't evoked that level of fear into investors where they say, uh-uh, I, I saw this before. I'm not buying into it again. You know, this morning, a bunch of articles out over the last couple of days comparing this to 1962 now, right? So a couple of weeks ago, everybody was comparing this to 1982, Fed hiking rates to combat inflation, and that was the, the bottom of the bear market. 1982 is over. Now we're back to 62, so we had to move back 20 years to talk about the last time in 1962 the Fed was hiking rates and combating inflation. The markets were doing what it's doing now. What people forget is, is that, you know, yeah, the market rallied and off the bottom in 1962 only to run right into the next bear market. And that consisted that that continued these rallies into bear markets continued through 1974 until investors were just literally wiped out at that point. And, and so, you know, this is what always the markets forget to tell you. They go, oh, yeah, at the bottom of 1962 the markets rallied at the end of the year. Well, what happened next year? And the year after that, how much more money did you lose? Because in the next two years, markets set new lows. Yeah, they recovered the bear market that you were in. But you didn't sell the next peak because you're sitting there going, oh, well, the market's back now. I'm right. I'm back in a bull market. We're new highs. Woo -hoo. Right. This is what the media's going to tell you. We're going to rally back to new highs. And man, it's going to be great. And then the next bear market hit. And then you rallied back to new highs in 73. And then you lost it all in 1974. So be careful with these analogies without understanding the context of the environment that you're in. Be right back after the break because I've got a pet rock to sell you. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. This morning on CNN right now, Meghan Markle criticizes... 
royal life. It's interesting. So, you know, Megan achieved what every little girl dreams of, right? Growing up, like to marry the prince and, you know, ride off into the sunset on the white horse, the whole nine yards. And she got the dream, right? She Ooh. actually married a prince. Went from being a billionaire to a millionaire pretty quickly after that. And now she's upset with the whole royal life and the, and the process. And, you know, this is, you know, it just goes to show you that just because, you know, the dream is there doesn't mean it's necessarily real. And sometimes things don't work out as fairy tale as we all kind of expect them to. She get the royal shaft? Uh, that would probably be the case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently not, not getting along well. So something about something, <laughs> I don't know. Something about, you know, the, the whole relationship has, you know, she didn't, she rubbed them wrong and mm -hmm. they rubbed her wrong yeah. and it's a big rift. And so now it's a, and now, you know, even Brits don't like her now. So, <laughs> you know, now you've got a whole country. This, this may be the catalyst for the next, you know, tea party coming up. Well, so, yeah. Didn't they even try a reality show and that didn't work? Yeah. They, they've tried a lot of stuff yeah. and it hasn't worked. Her best gig was uh, Suits on USA. No argument there. Yeah. yeah. So she should just go back to doing that. <laughs> Except they canceled it. Uh, anyway, another story. So just kind of wrapping up this morning. Uh, futures are, are up. We're about 30 points on the S&P. And, and again, you know, markets are oversold enough here that, uh, you know, getting a rally at this point is not – you know, outside the realm of possibility. And and we and, and the markets kind of need that a little bit here because we got very oversold very quickly. And so a little bit of a reflexive rally here will be important. You know, the, the risk is still to the downside at this moment because markets are still trying to price in, you know, what the Fed is going to do. And this this whole kind of rug pull that the markets got, which really wasn't a rug pull because everybody kind of saw it coming. Um <laughs> you know, by, you know, Jerome Powell at the Jackson Hole meeting has, has really kind of shifted, you know, the balance of, of, you know, nature inside of the market itself and what they were expecting in terms of risk and reward. And now with the Fed talking about, hey, we've got to, to combat inflation first and foremost, and we're, gonna, and we're all going to have to suffer some pain because of this, as we said earlier in the show. Well, that means slower economic growth. And if you have slower economic growth, you're going to have slower earnings growth. And if you have slow earnings growth, then prices of the markets are still out of whack. We're still trading at 30 times earnings. And even if you go on a forward earnings basis, we're still expensive. And if earnings slow down, then prices are going to have to go down just to maintain that level of forward earnings. This is the risk of forward earnings, right? We always try to, you know, the media is always telling us like, well, based on forward earnings expectations, well, the expectations are always wrong. And so if you're buying something today based on 15 times forward earnings, you're probably wrong. Because by the time we get there, those estimates are going to be a lot lower. They're, they're always lower. They're always about 30% overestimated by the time we actually get to the end game. And so, you know, those are all got to come down. Which means that if prices stay where they are and earnings fall on a forward basis, then valuations are going to rise and stocks aren't cheap. So if, you know, this is the problem with investing based on forward expectations is there's so many things that can change. And as I was saying in the last segment, what we're missing here is that Europe is about to export their inflation fight into the U.S. Because 
they're doing the same. They are doing quantitative tightening. They are doing, you know, higher interest rates. That's going to slow their economic growth, which is going to slow foreign demand, which about 40% of corporate earnings comes from what we sell overseas. So we're not this, this island in the storm that, well, we're just going to have to suffer a little pain here and it'll be okay because we've got it all under control. You've got to remember that we are all globally interconnected. And so what Europe does and the ECB does has a very big impact on us. Same thing with Japan and China and Russia. Because we are not isolated. We are interconnected. And so as we're sitting here trying to export our inflation by manufacturing stuff overseas, those costs are going up because of higher input costs in terms of energy, right? So if we're manufacturing some widget overseas, the, the cost of manufacturing that widget is going up because of the energy input cost that are going higher. Now, as the Fed begins to tighten, oh, sorry, as the ECB begins to tighten, raise interest rates and, and tighten policy over there to combat their inflationary pressures, which is what they just talked about at Jackson Hole as well, that's all a big giant feedback loop. So two things are going to wind up happening. One is that the economic slowdown is going to be a lot faster than people ex expect. Everybody's talking about, oh, you know, we're going to potentially have a slowdown, but we're not going to have a recession. No, we're probably going to have a recession, and it'll probably be worse than most people think because of this feedback loop. I'm not being doom and gloom. I'm just trying to lay out the roadmap for you. The other side of this coin is, is right now, earnings estimates going forward into the end of 2023 don't show an earnings recession. Well, you can't have an economic recession without what? An earnings recession. And again, stocks aren't priced for an earnings recession. Now, I'm not talking about the world coming to an end and you need to be in a bunker with beanie weenies and, and you know, a stuffed dog. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, is that stocks are not priced for an economic recession and an earnings recession, which will coincide with each other. Now, that doesn't mean we've got to have a 50% decline from current levels, but another 20% to the downside, certainly very reasonable. Could be 10, you know. But there's more. The, the, the point is, is that there's more risk to the downside. And I think we need to be aware of that. That doesn't need, to, again, that doesn't mean that you go sell everything and go hide out in the bunker. But I do think there's a risk here that we need to be paying attention to. 59% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Again, that's consumption, right? So if 59% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck and they're tapped out on credit cards for the most part, then where are they going to get money to spend? And if and, and it's those Americans, by the way, it's that 60% of Americans that create a bulk of the personal consumption expenditures because they spend everything they make, right? Those in the upper income class, they don't spend everything they make every paycheck. Right, they've got a lot of liquid cash, and they own most everything they want to own. So there's not a big demand. I mean, they're buying food and groceries and going out to eat and stuff like that. But they already pretty much own. They're not going out and buying, you know, multiple houses and multiple cars and you know those type of things, right? So 80% of of your PCE and and your personal consumption expenditures is really driven by that lower 60 70 80 percent of consumers that spend everything they make every paycheck 
So again, you can and, and and if earnings come from the economy and the economy slowing down, how do you have a recession without having the earnings recession? But yet Wall Street doesn't recognize this. So again, it's just the risk that we need to be paying attention to. Interest rates are going up. Mortgage rates are near near six percent now. And again, that's still cheap. If I if you know you know. Brent and I were talking about a while back that you know, our first houses when we were buying houses, you know, were 10, 11, 12, 13%. 6% is cheap. If I can borrow money for 30 years at 6%, that's pretty cheap money, right? It's not cheap like it used to be, but it's still cheap money at six. And if I'm gonna live in a house for a long time, what do I care? But that's the point about interest rates. See, interest rates are not just financial, they're psychological. Yes, interest rates have gone up to 6%. Now, all of a sudden, a lot of people can't afford the house that they wanted to buy because they were trying to buy too much house to start with. And that $100, $200 a month difference in payment is, is something they can't afford. Because that's the way we buy houses. We buy payments, not houses. And we buy more house than we should because we think we deserve that. We should all live in McMansions with, you know, pools in the backyard. Again, our living standard a bit out of whack with reality. But the other thing that happens with higher interest rates is there's a psychological component to that where people go, you know what, I'm actually okay where I am. I'm just going to wait and see if rates come back down again, and then I'll buy a house. Because we're used to 30 years, 40 years, actually, of interest rates falling. Every time they go up, they always come down again. They go to a lower level. So there's a psychological component at 6% where people just go, eh, I'm not going to borrow money. I'll wait. I don't really need, I'll just sit where I am right now, and I'll just wait, and I'll borrow money once, when rates come back down again. And that's, and that's the case. So you're going to see a slowdown across the board, economically speaking. The question is just really how deep it gets, how fast it gets, and whether or not markets are priced for it. Now, there's some arguments from people saying that markets have already priced all this in. Maybe. Hard to imagine at 30 times earnings, even 16, 17, 18 times forward earnings, depending on who you talk to, that that's the case. And it's also hard to suggest that's the case when the E has to fall. It's hard to suggest that prices won't correct along with it. But again, not something you go do something about right now. But I think it's something that we definitely pay attention to as we go forward. Okay, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our new landing page is up, kind of making it easy for you to find everything you want. Um, also, check out our Insights tab as well. That's where all of our latest blog posts, our newsletter is. And also, uh, check out our Do-It-Yourself page. That's our SimpleVisor.com solution where you can follow all of our research portfolios and more. It's all there for you, SimpleVisor.com, RealInvestmentAdvice.com. I don't know how to make it easier for you. It's right there. Check it out, RealInvestmentAdvice.com. Um, we'll be back tomorrow with Danny Ratliff to pick up a little bit on financial planning, markets, your money. And, of course, stick around. Three minutes on Markets and Money will be coming out here very shortly on our YouTube channel. So make sure you're subscribed and click the little bell icon uh, while you're there. And make sure you like the page because we appreciate it. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning for The Real Investment Show. It's a rich man's world. It's a rich man's world.